Reason is fundamental, my favourite catchphrase. Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel and Tiso. This season's broad theme is... Reconfiguring whiteness. Hello everyone, this is our last episode of this season actually. Time goes fast. Time goes really fast. Mm. We are really excited to be joined by Julia Toppin. Whoop whoop! Old school. I want to hear the old school. I want to hear the old school. Uh, This is going to be, I think T's going to get... I think you're going to get quite excited about this episode. It's emotional, man. It is emotional. emotional. So we're going to be talking about... Julia has just finished her master's thesis, which I had the pleasure of reading, about EDM and women and their sometimes exclusion from the industry. But we're going to talk about a little bit about your career, jungle music, and, yeah, get into it, drum and bass. Everything. I guess we've got to make sure, because... Some of our listeners won't be into this sort of music, so we have to kind of make like a a cultural studies yeah, argument yeah, I, for why we're in why we're talking about this because it's a very important. Oh, jungle was jung- a really important time. Very important time. Julia, tell us about your career and how you are where you are. Okay, uh, I'll try and give you the short version. Yes. Right. So I started my career very oddly in supermarket management because I failed my A levels very miserably, and so I went into the Sainsbury Supermarket Management trainee scheme, and I learned to be a department manager. And, you know, encountered the usual sexism, racism, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole nother kettle of fish because oh I used to get called Chicken George and all kind of madness. So we worked what, at work. Got, you've got stuff to sort yeah, at work. work. Chicken yeah, George. No chicken way. George. And I used to say, you know, that's a man, right? Yeah, it's a man. Yeah, but it didn't from, matter. From, from Roots. Yeah. I would, is... I would get one of the chickens from the chicken and give him the... the oh, my God. Oh my no, but he was my boss, boss, boss. Uh, yeah, no, so, anyway, so that's the whole... So, obviously... What's a, so, what year is this we're talking? No, early 90s. Uh, early 90s so I started it in 90 and left in 93 and so um, I decided that I wanted to be a um, I didn't want to do that anymore Mm -hmm. and it was like what am I going to do so I thought I always loved film so I thought I'd learn how to write about film Mm -hmm. so I wrote to lots of film journalists who were all very lovely and Barry Norman they're all very lovely and asked them how could I be a film journalist? And they gave me these little tips. And so I basically slid into the film journalism circuit and then tried to build a name for myself by writing about black actors and actresses. And I got very lucky in in 1994 because I went to the Cannes Film Festival where I interviewed a not very famous then but incredibly famous now actor called Samuel L. Jackson. Oh my and god, so, so this, is, this was like Pulp Fiction time. Yeah, so it's yeah. where Pulp Fiction yeah. won the Palm Door. So that's another whole story, because obviously I know we've only got 40 minutes, so that's another story. Wow. So, um, and so through that I got into film journalism, but I was mainly writing for the black press, and then I got really interested in the idea of representation. And I felt like, obviously, what we know, that you know, uh, black people are not really represented properly. Pretty much any minority group is not represented properly. So I started working with film companies, started working with the British Film Institute. Um, I was working as a television producer, so I worked at the BBC and I worked at Nickelodeon and I worked on uh, Gabby Rosen's chat show. Um, And then I kind of started my own thing where I was trying to help people, young people. It became all people, because I remember... Um, a white guy came up to me once and was like, Julia, can white people do film days? And I was like, of course I can, I can, you know. So it was getting young people into media because how I got into the media is a whole nother kettle of fish. The short version is I dropped my bus pass outside Nick Ferrari's house 
and his wife found LBC it. LBC Nick Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And his wife found it with my, I had a little NUJ, trainee NUJ card, and I only lived around the corner from them. We became friends, and then Nick was starting live TV, and that's how I got into television. So Is that how you got into it? Yeah, it's yeah. all really weird. And mad. Yeah. Yeah. Mad. Some of Nick Ferrari, Ferrari's views are an absolute madness, but if he helped you in that, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. so, um, so I started at live TV with Janet Street Porter. And, you know, people like Charlie State, Esther McVeigh, uh, Bethany Hughes, Rodri Williams, Simon London. You know, it was like a creative... Hub. Hub, yeah, because Janet obviously was amazing and she just attracted all these mm. people a big person to work yeah. with Janet. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, Kelvin McKenzie got rid of her and um, which was, you know, got rid of her. And then it kind of went downhill. That's when it went into, you know, topless darts and news okay. bunny and all that. And I always tell people, oh, I never did news bunny. I refused to do news bunny. What's news bunny? So news bunny was where basically they would put someone in a giant news bunny costume and they would read the news because it was like a gimmick where they were trying to attract, because it was cable TV. I mean, we don't even have cable anymore, do we? No. It was cable, and um, <laughs> they were, you know, it was owned by the Mirror Group. Uh, Trinity Mirror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, oh. you know, like Murdoch Mirror. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're owned okay. by the Mirror Group, we were all in Canada, Canada Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and basically, yeah, so they were, they were using lots of... Janet wanted to do it the creative way, and it was really interesting. You know, I was running the kids' TV show, um, which Nick put me on and promoted me, so we'll give him those things. Tell me if I'm saying this wrong, yeah, right? Yeah. Like a period in the '90s where TV was sort of coming alive a little bit more, and there was key sort of industry players. Yeah, like pre Sky. Pre Sky. Yeah, it's the pre, best way pre of thinking. Pre Rupert Murdoch. What? Was well, there? Was there a world? <laughs> well, because he went into yeah, yeah, cable yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. He did. He I, 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 started cable. I did yeah. Cable. So if you think of it as the beginnings of satellite television and you know more than five channels it yeah, was yeah. right at the this is what we're talking yeah so yeah. Like this, this is what we're talking about yeah and how incredible that you were there at the beginning of that yeah yeah lots of stories great times and just so many good people because like you know richard bacon was my first presenter <gasps> and um you know simon was great and so you know it, i got a million stories for that one but that was a really good time it was a very creative time mm-hmm. and like you said janet was very creative and she let us do lots of things and also it was live television so there's that stress of having to make something knowing that it's mm. got to be ready at four o'clock because the tape's going out at four o'clock you know we would shoot things in the morning that would get put out in the afternoon you know and they had to be ready and so and that's like a whole it's a it's a different way of thinking and I definitely think it shapes the way that I tackle things as well yeah because you're so creative and it it's surely that yeah being in that world really helped like quick creativity yes. also dynamic yeah like, that's right just yeah. being able to kind of like you know get there so yes that was great and then after that yeah did a bit of freelancing in tv and then couldn't quite make enough money out of it so then I thought oh what can I do and because I trained so many people because that's how tv works you know I did film days and I, I was just doing it off my own back so it was it was a charity but I didn't have no one ever said to me oh did you know you could get funding to do what you're doing they were all just <laughs> like oh it's really good that's that you're typical. doing what you do that's yeah so yeah so basically but I understand all those things now so it's all it, you know mm. you, you can put it all in context yeah. you know what I mean so I work with the British Film Institute I work with the Film Council 
I was developing. I worked on what films I work on. I worked on Alcel. I got a groove back. I worked on Belly. I worked on Slam, which I love. And I, I worked on Blade a little bit, a little bit on Men in Black. And I was trying to build black audiences. But it was working on Eve's Bayou. Eve's Bayou was after Cannes. It was working on Eve's yeah. Bayou. And then Samuel Jackson agreed to be the patron of Film Day. It's because I thought, you know, I used to use his name to open lots <clears> of doors. And it was quite funny because I said to him, oh, I want you to be my patron. He was like, what do I have to do? <laughs> and I was like, nothing. I just want the name. So I didn't even know what a patron did. You know, I could have said, oh, charity dinner, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, no, I just want to put your name and everything. And he was like, fine. And then I couldn't make enough money at film days because I wasn't getting funded. I was like running a charity on Dole. <clears throat> and then I had to get a job. So I went into, this is just before the dot-com crash. So I got made Was it, a, Why do you call it dot-com crash? Oh, right. So in 2000, the American stock market crashed. There was, because um, what did he call it? I know too many things, so just stop me whenever you're ready. So the guy that used to run the um, the treasury, whatever the equivalent of it of it is in America, mm. he said there was a period of irrational exuberance. That was the quote. And so the stock market went up and up and up, and then it crashed very mightily in the early 2Ks, the very early 2Ks. And that was when I was working as a website producer because the internet was a new-ish thing. Mm. sort yeah. of becoming a bit more mature people having their own websites and so I work for World Productions I help build their website they do um, the last thing they've done is Bodyguard um, and now I also built a few little other websites for other people but then you know kept getting made redundant because you know that's the thing you know when money is it? low <clears throat> you know the first thing that happens is snip 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 and yes there are tales of <coughs> trainees that don't look like me, me getting cut and them getting life, but, you know, that's that's how we live, isn't it? So, and then I was like, I need something stable, so I went into teaching, Got the, needed a degree, so I had to go and do a degree and then go into teaching. So I've been teaching for 10 years. In fact, I've just come from school. Yes. Um, but on the front then line. On the front line, secondary yes, English. come on, changing it. Making those kids yes. read. <laughs> Reading is fundamental, my favourite catchphrase. And kind of really running into the same problems as a black woman that I had in every sector that I've worked in. You know, none of them, they're all the same, you know. Yeah. I'm too outspoken or people feel a bit threatened because I, I want to be good at what I do, I want to be the best, mm. you know, and that's what I work for. And so then, um, so when I had the same kind of run-of-the-mill issues, although this time round it, it was actually... A uh, black female that was put the final nail in the coffin. I was like, right, okay, I'm not taking education as a career. Seriously, I'm never going to get promoted. Um, what can I do? And I'd been working with my cousin, uh, DJ Grime Minister, who's a drum and bass oh, DJ, jump up. Yes. <laughs> and um, he was like, Jew, Jew, I'm getting robbed, I'm getting robbed, I don't know how. Come and look at these statements. So because I worked in the media... Was his tax? Yeah, he asked me to... Well, no, it was kind of like, um, you know, the royalty statements? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, It was yeah. his royalty statements, and he felt like he, you know, he wasn't, he was being robbed a bit. Oh, we, we oh, can't talk to him about tax. He, get, he moans about the tax, but we didn't like it. But we, we paid very little. <laughs> so, yeah, so I started working with him on the business side, and then he was like, oh, you might as well just come and join me. You might as well just come join me and run this thing with me. And um, that was a few years prior to... That was about 2013-y. And so in 2016-17, when I'd been not got a promotion that I really felt that I should have got, and it was the second year running that I hadn't got it, I just thought, right, OK, you know what? I'm going to invest in music, not in education. So that was when I decided 
to do the Masters at Westminster Uni in uh, music business management. Because I always just look like when I did my degree at Goldsmiths in Media, I was just like, where's the best uni for media? And it was Goldsmiths and Westminster, ironically. Mm. And Goldsmiths was around the corner. So I was like, right, I'm going to Goldsmiths. So I came here to do my media degree. And same with the Masters. I was like, who's got the best Masters degree in music business? And the internet said mm. Westminster. So I applied and um, got in to do it part-time. And so, um, you know, it's a brilliant course. I've learned the ins and outs of the industry. And then when it came to doing my thesis, Sally, who's one of the course leaders, it's quite funny because I wanted to do something on, like, political economy and streaming, (laughs) really dry stuff, media independence. And I'd done all my lit review early because I was geeky and whatever. And then Sally was like, no, Julia, I really think you should do something about being a a black woman in the music industry. And I was like, oh, she wants me to do the black thing. Oh, God. You know, but then once I got into it... Yeah, you were loving it. I absolutely loved it. it Because what was really funny was the first time I went to a rave, I went to this um, jump-up rave called Next Hype in Vauxhall. Mm -hmm. Because obviously I I had to get into the scene. And I just thought I'd be walking into... It's really naive, really. I just thought I'd be walking into the scene that I walked out of like 25 years ago. But it's just like the sea of like 20 to 25 year old white guys, like no black people, like (laughs) no women. There's more women now, but because, you know, we're in 2019 now and I started going to the raves in 2013, but there were barely any women. The only black women I'd see would be like one or two behind the bar and maybe one or two and then you look you lock eyes you know what are you doing here what are you doing here it's it's, it's changed like that yeah it really was like that and it's still very very white drum and bass yeah yeah Um, and obviously there's there's the big movement now about women because it's not it's not 50 50 Mm. it's probably like 25 75 Mm. if that and so once I started looking into it, I, you know, it was to answer the question of, you know, well, what happened? Because when I used to rave to Jungle, it was mixed in terms of gender. It was mixed in terms of ethnicity. There was Asian people there, yeah. black people there, white people there. It was a real good vibes. So when I think of those scenes, they're emergent scenes and they're still attached to subcultures, right? Mm. So I couldn't go back now because those subcultures have evolved and moved on. And so I think the shock for me would be going somewhere where I'm it's familiar but I don't recognize it yeah that kind of stranger in your own mm-hmm. town kind of thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's interesting what you said about that and I'm really glad that I've come to the podcast at this point mm. because a few weeks ago I got to go to an old school jungle wave called roast because I've yeah, made yeah, friends yeah. with so many people that I interviewed so many of the great women that I yeah. interviewed and they took me to roast they said oh you must buy a ticket for roast and so and that was and I'll, I'll send you a clip if you like. Yeah, that was yeah. an old school rave. Everyone was in there was my age, black people, white people, men, women, Asian, everybody just vibes in up. And it was that old jungle mm-hmm. sound. You know, I felt like I'd come home. I've written a review, De- but I've got to put it out. Were they there? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, Kenny Ken, Rocky, yes. Jumping Jack Frost, yes. you know, yes. all the um, the great guy called DJ Ron, you mm. know, just all the old school. I went to see DJ Spoonie. I was like, I know the music is slightly different, mm. but it felt like how Tiso describes what it was like early 90s and I've not seen that like when I go out if I'm going clubbing and if it's if it's EDM music it's going to be mainly white men there mm. and it was it I could describe it the way you described it and no one was being a, like there was no aggression everyone was just nice to each other people were just chatting like 
it was a vibe. vibe. Like, vibes. and I was like, oh my god. Like, and I was like, oh, everyone was between thirty-five and fifty, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, We're in that heritage era. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So you know, so solid. Had their twentieth, didn't yeah. they? And now they're mm. are they having another anniversary next year? I think they're just gonna keep rolling <laughs> up till till thirty. Tiso's but... cousins rolled deep yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, oh wow, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, so basically, I mean. Funnily enough, you've taken us back to the Masters. So what I had to do was I had to do a history of jungle because I was interested in this point of departure where, you know, what happened to all the black people? What happened to all the women? And so I did a history of jungle in my literature review and what it revealed some really interesting things. So Mm. what kind of... I mean, the interesting thing about jungle is... I think because it's definitely, it was definitely like the first black British music, mm-hmm. you know, and it really resonated with my generation and people that are my age because they hadn't had anything like that before. Mm-hmm. But it, because it was mixed with pop and soul and hip hop and it had the movie samples. Listen, the ragga samples and there. And the ragga the samples. Ragga and, and the bass, yeah. you know. Uh. They, um, you know, they really embraced the music and I think that there was an issue of perhaps having um, venues... I mean, we can speak freely, right? So there was an issue of that people felt there were too many black people in the raves, Mm. right? You know, because, you know, the jungle, all all that bass brought all the black audiences out and they mixed with the rave audiences and that's why the audiences were mixed. Mm. And some raves might have been more black than others, ones that perhaps that were promoted by black-led promoters. But really, what was interesting about Jungle is it feels like and it's I've spoken about it before so I'm not too worried because it came out in the research but there were these there was some secret meetings that happened Racism. yeah it's just yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot this yeah, is a sociology yeah, yeah, podcast because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know when I go and present it I'm like space, space. let's go yeah, yeah so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rewind rewind yeah. so basically there were secret meetings and there was a decision made to shut down Jungle because too many black people up raving and so basically what they did was um, they literally stopped playing jungle overnight, apart from certain few privileged few. You know, they let the chosen few few, the ones yeah. that they that have the same vibe that they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's quite interesting about that is that I you know, I teased out the fact that there was this meeting from three different sources, but like a really flippant mention of it. And that's what I want to go into deeper with the PhD, because it has a lot of ramifications, because you've got to remember, Jungle was kind of like a self-sustaining capitalist system. You know, producers, uh, dub plate makers, the people that were making the vinyl, the music shops, the the DJs, the pirate radio, they were all self-sustaining, and some of them were remixing for the major labels as well. But this is, this is consistent with UK policy and youth culture in general. So whether it's Jungle, Garage, House... You, the, the, like from the criminal justice bill, drill now, drill. Now, yeah. mm. These these subcultures start outside the system, right? Mm. And they have self sustaining industries, right? All these this, this, all the all the bits that you mentioned, but also people that advertise, promote. All these people that kind of link onto this, right? As well as the the, the, the stuff that they're producing, right? That has cultural value. Mm. That has that kind of kind of encapsulates a moment in time, right? But yet. Because the government cannot control this, they seek control. They seek the control, and it's a kind of a 
controlled by coercion, right? So they convince people that these kids are out there doing some craziness. Mm-hmm. Like, so in the criminal justice bill, they linked it to like class A drugs. The, the, the death of Leah Betts was highly publicised to kind of say that rapes are bad. Who? Mm. Leah, Leah Betts. Betts. She, she died taking ecstasy. And drinking. She drank too much, too much water. Drink, yeah. She drank too much oh, water and this? she flooded her brain. 94, 93, yeah. yeah. And with Jungle, you're exactly <laughs> right. What they did was they linked it to the rise of crack cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And really... Um, as I've been contextualising, there was a lot of crack in yeah. waves. But, however, you have to put it in the context. It wasn't like Samuel Jackson in Jungle Fever. Crack was just like a new drug like cocaine yeah. and people were just doing it. But, and, this, and, this is, and this is what I could never understand. They've never, all these people that make laws, you've never been to a rave. But I've been to a pub and I've been to a rave. Pubs, alcohol, by far the, the worst experience I'm having at all. From violence... To racial violence, to like there's to misogyny, but look, it's the actions that people behave in there, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in these raves, the drugs that people talk about and have a bad reputation crack, I see people roll across floors and, and laugh. Mm. And like I said, there's always going to be a, a, an exception to the rule. Mm. But in the main, in the main, I remember being in um, Club UK, this is probably about 95, and they got raided by the police. But what for? There was no fights in there, there was no fights at all. People talk about. Um the, uh, there's a story that I've got to pull out of someone, but it was a rave. I think it was in Vauxhall, and they sent SWAT out. So there were people dropping mm-hmm. out of helicopters. For what? You know, like police in helicopters. There were police dropping out of helicopters <laughs> with dogs and armed response. And and then uh, one of the, my um, researchers she said, you know what, that was that was me and Jungle got ended that night. Yeah. The, thing, the thing is, I can understand the argument because the drugs obviously are illegal, right? Mm-hmm. So they feel, they feel an illegal Mark the black market, so I can understand that. But then he also the flip side of that is, when you go to these places, it's calm. It's calm. Like recently, the, the worst. Why thing doesn't I've, the city of London get raided? Huh? This is my thing. Why and, is that? Not, why, is, why is that not being raided? Got the same things are happening there. But you know, right? So right. now, so, so and this is this has also also been a big big problem. The idea that these things are happening and you're criminalising a whole group of young people. For no reason. Exactly. You're sending them to prison. You're involving them in the criminal justice system for no real reason, right? And then once you're in, that's you're it. In. You get a criminal record. Yeah. You can't, you can, you can't oh, get wow. a DBS. There's so many places that you yeah. can't work now. And I think that for me, once I got, like I said, once I got into the research, <laughs> you know, I feel quite passionately about the fact that, you know, basically they stripped all of the black elements out of the music, right? And turned it into this kind of metallic... Harsher. And don't get me wrong, I love Jump Up. The stuff that we put out on my label, we put out all types, Liquid and Jump Up. Liquid's more smooth, smooth bass lines. Jump Up's more tweaky-tweaky for the younger kids. Um, jungle, we've got tracks that are, are quite jungly. So we put out lots of different types. And the great thing about Jay's is very fussy. So I like literally 98% of the stuff we put out because he'll only put out, like, we put out good stuff. We're quite, we're quite proud of our output and stuff like that. But just in terms of the fact that, you know, it's all, it, there's that, that appropriation, isn't there? And this removal of the black element for something. And then all of a sudden, boom, drum and bass is mainstream. It's making a billion dollars a year, right? Man's getting paid 10 grand to play here, 10 grand to play there. They're playing in Russia. They're playing all over the world. Because what I do when I introduce my 
dissertation is I play two videos and one video is just an old school jungle mm-hmm. rave and it's really mixed and everyone's just dancing it's quite funny because it's old school and mm-hmm. they all look really looks really dated mm-hmm. now the girls got their fans and all that and then the other video is a promo for SASAS and you can they're like a basically a drum and bass super group Harry Shotter Shabadee Fantasy Stormin was there before he passed, and there's six of them. But they all the way around the world, they're getting paid mad, mad money. But they play to these massive stadiums, and there's this great shot where the camera pans out, and there's obviously like tens of thousands of people. It's just all white people. It's all and mainly white men, you know. And it's just the difference. You think of if Jungle was making that kind of money, you know, it'd be life changing. But I think I was speaking about this today, and I think. There are people, that, well, for me anyway, I have problems that tie the difference between appropriation and corporatization, right? I think appropriation happens on a daily basis. I think music, in, by its definition, is appropriated, right? Mm-hmm. So hip hop is an appropriate form of music, right? So we take other people's music and mix it and make it into something new. Yeah. What I see happening to, into most things is to kind of use a kind of sociological kind of uh, phraseology is. Habermas's systems co-opting, li- yeah, yeah, yeah. co-opting mm. life worlds, right? So taking stuff like bit garage house music, and so in or grime, and then so next thing you know, Drake's doing grime. You're not from London, bro. You're not from. You're not from <laughs> London. Jay Z's putting out blue story. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen. You. That's his. That's remember, I mean, rap man signed to yeah, him. So that's where that's the money's saying. coming from. And but this, 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 this the idea of system. This is what system. Do, this is what systems do, right? And. I think it's that kind of creative, well, creative destructive process, right? So they take, the system takes, invades the life world, takes whatever, the music. Mm-hmm. But this is where we find, this is, this. I think this is our creative impulse because we look for, make something new. Yes. And we make something new and it's better. Yes. And the system starts looking again, but we always build that outside the system, right? Yeah. And that um, that comes from the, the Bourdieu piece because mm. let's put a bit of sociology in there. Yeah, yeah. And that that bit is the Eckhart, mm. you know, and it's the bit where the new bit comes mm. and then it matures and yeah. becomes mainstream and then the next generation, they just create something new. And yeah. so I was, I was talking about this last week, like is drill going to be the new thing or is there going to be a, another another new thing because grime has matured. Yeah. You know, grime is like, what, 20 years old? Well, it's quite interesting. I looked, I was watching a video the other day and it said, who's got the best drill? And they had drill artists from... United States, Canada, Australia, Ireland, and the UK. I didn't even know they did the drill in those places. Ireland? Who's doing that? Drill in Ireland. Yeah. Listen, it was, <laughs> but they, and you hear it in their own accent. And yeah. this, one of, the, one of the things, especially if you're of a certain age group, that I really like was the idea of the UK doing its own thing. Mm. For a long time, we rapped with an American accent. We never talk about the ends or what we did, right? Yeah. And then we got Rodney P, Rodney P, London Posse, Ty, HKB Finn. I told you about Julia. I tried to tell but listen, you. But you see the things there. When you, but when you hear someone sounding like you and talking like you, it's, represents it. Absolutely. It means, but it, it's cooler. So when kids, when, when, when these middle class people see Top Boy, they want to speak like us, isn't it? But when we started speaking on our own, it was a more powerful. It's a powerful thing. And if, if you're somebody from Burman, we speak with a Burman accent. From Leeds, speak of a Leeds accent, and, and that thing there, it's a powerful thing, man. Yeah. So I'll go to raves, you go to your manor, and I remember going out to places and playing, it's a London thing. But it's a powerful thing, man. <laughs> you represent your manor wherever you go. Yeah. And they love it. So, yeah, yeah so it's been, 
It's been a good ride, and so go on. So I was going to say, just thinking about those two videos or those two clips that you sort of mm. illustrated for us, and I'm sort of thinking about my own sort of like experiences with EDM and how they're slightly different from you guys. So I was born in 1992, so I feel like the appropriation of your music was sort of came just as I as I reached adolescence. So. Sometimes when I think about DMB, like shamefully, I think of like chasing status, but they're not. That they're not, are they? Well, the, yeah, they're, they're a very commercial. But so I think DMB. very commercial. They, they do some some of that. You know, they produce some great tracks. Yeah, I, yeah. I've I've got the album Return to Jungle. Okay. Because I think they've there's been some contention because obviously I think they went on a radio show and they were trying to do that. You know, there'd be no jungle without us. And then the, the jungle massive is, is very active on Twitter. So shout out to all junglists and I love jungle <laughs> there. They're all on there and you, you know, you post and, and they, there were debates about, yeah. you know, Chase the State's got a little, little bit upset. And in a way they have been responsible for the resurgence Sort of, because my mind is these things don't come out of a vacuum. No. This whole idea that jungle is trendy again. Yeah, someone's decided that that is the case. That's why the jungle, that's why everyone's talking about, oh, I make drum and bass and jungle. Whereas before, jungle was a dirty name. Ten years ago, jungle was a dirty name. For me, the journey went from hardcore into jungle. And then I just knew it gone like it gone commercial for me. And you went to Garage. You went to Garage, man. That's right. That's where garage. everyone went. That's went, where all went the black garage, people went. And then went to and House. That's where all the women went. That's yeah. what my garage, research. Yeah. 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 I mean, but you see, the thing is, you're following, I'm following subcultures, right? You're moving with subcultures. I'm not going, I'm not looking to go to a place where it's, I'm, there's lasers and there's lights. I'm looking to a place where it's dirty and dark and a man standing in the back and wearing their jackets. It's fully hot in there, but you're in the jacket and sunglasses and it's dark. <laughs> that's the place where I'm going to, right? <laughs> People don't go. People don't know about them raves. Some yeah. boy come up to me. T, I've been to a rave. It's mass, bro. You ain't going to a rave. It's a party, man. You're going to a fully licensed party. You need the room. Yeah, you need a room and it's dark. Windows. With one, one entrance, one exit. One entrance, one exit. Fire hazards, boy. Do you know who else I'm thinking of as well? I feel like I appropriated this. It's not Chase and Status. Who's the other? There's Pendulum. Pendulum. That was bright. So Pendulum. That is my. That was what I grew up with. Silico is a classic. It's got to be said. I do. It's a really yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like that's my childhood, and that's kind of the new drum and bass. Okay. You know, it's got that sort of rocky edge to it. Yeah, um, and and yeah, and what was interesting was because the music went quite dark as well. Yeah, like yeah, and okay. when it went dark and twisty, that was um, well. According to Simon Reynolds, writes a lot about. It. He's he's a brilliant music writer, and he talks about that was the kind of. You know, where too many people have been tripping and they were all getting, you know, and people mm. were smoking weed too long, they get paranoid, the psychosis mm. and all that. And th- that produced this kind of dark, heavy music. Across all across genres. the Yeah, cr- well, more, yeah, maybe, maybe across the genres, but like- he was talking about, like, across sort of drum and bass. Mm. Because uh, I had to unpick a lot when I was doing the history of Jungle because... People talk about the music getting dark and the music being commercialised as though they're the same thing, and they're not. There were two slightly, there were two different things okay. that were happening because obviously some people, the black audiences, didn't like the music getting dark, and they no. also. But then there were some banging tunes like you know Andy C, Thirty One Seconds, <gasps> Andy C, um, Thirty One Seconds. Yeah, there you go, C's. <laughs> that's still a classic song, banging yeah. to this day. People play it all the but time. To this day, like for me. Like going to Ibiza, seeing Andy C, seeing MK and whatever, I didn't know how long they'd been around for. He's been around. He's been playing since like, he was like 14. I he told no, you he's young. I young. I've seen no man's young. So I'll be like, I'll be like, I'm going to do this. And then my dad would be like, MK? 
he knows MK. I was like, what? But yeah. I didn't realise how. There's some people. This but, they've been playing but, for like 30 years plus now. But this them. is this is what I was going to say to you when we spoke. We spoken earlier, Julie, about when we when I, when I first met you about this this disconnect, right? This kind of social media aspect of it all, right? So obviously there's a kind of archaeological thing. There's a history, to, a genealogy to these things, right? But the kids are not really interested in the genealogy, right? I am. And and I'm not the kids. no 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 you're not, not the kids. I'm not the kids. You're the kids <laughs> being so when I speak to them, they not they don't care. So. One of the what, what was quite interesting to me was um, it's kind of music related. There was a guy talking about hip hop. This new I don't know who he was, and the guy said, "Do you know who Wu Tang Clan is?" And he went, "No." What? And but he this guy he he came to represent hip hop and rap music right now. And that is the problem: That's the ephemeral fine. nature of social media mm-hmm. and the way that our world is moving so fast that something that's literally just behind you, around the corner. It's completely forgotten. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the sad things and one of the reasons why I will keep writing about Jungle is because I really feel Jungle is a very neglected part of black music history. Like Garage got a lot more, there's a lot more books about Garage, way more, a million books about Garage. Why crime. do you think that is? Why do you think that Jungle gets ignored? I think there's a lot of people that don't want to talk. But you see, when I see, when I listen to Jungle, right? If I said to you, Conqueror Lion, Code Red, Rebel MC, people don't know them people there. Why? But yeah? why is that? No, because, what is it about? But, he, but you see, Rebel MC, he's talking like conscious lyrics. He's talking about real stuff. Okay. Real stuff. And when you mix it with a bit of ragga and you're hearing a few gunshots, that's why we used to like it. Yeah, that's why there. people talk about being a junglist. They'll yeah. say, I'm into DB, but I'm a junglist. Yeah, listen. You know, it's something that I've been listening to There's jungle a, every day on the way to that school. It just puts you in the right vibe. I'm a junglist. There's a track called yeah. I'm a j- Powerful, <laughs> the track's powerful. If I could sing, I would sing it right now. It's powerful. But what do you? So you people don't want to talk. Is it what is it about the genre that you feel? Do you think garage because it was more widely acceptable? Listen, it's it's, it's commercial. Garage was more poppy. Yeah, poppy it had yeah. that blingy poppy. Right. I think because jungle came from blackness, and also you've got to remember that at that time. Most of the majority of the music writers would have been middle class white guys, right. and you know a lot of people would be honest about the fact that you know they get a bit scared in the jungle rave and yeah, it's a bit. You know, what I'm saying when you walk into a room, man's wearing sunglasses. Dark, people get scared, man. If you're not from the ends, people get scared, right? So it's for people from the ends. So I, when you go South London, North London, but it's the same people in it. Yeah, like same people. I'm not seeing no middle class boys called Guy or Owen in these raves anymore. That's what you see now. They were going to the old school jungle race. They were going to the new drum and bass yeah, race. Exactly. Uh, do you think there's a chance that you guys were ever in the same rave? But, well, probably. I definitely went Jungle Fever. Was yes. that big one in Milton Keynes? Where did I go? Um, I used to go Under the Arches. <laughs> do you go Bagley's? Yeah, Bagley's. Oh, yeah, King's Cross. <laughs> oh, Bagley's Warehouse. <laughs> Man's got a warehouse. Hey, you see me doing off-key moves. Man, be sitting on the speaker like that. <laughs> <laughs> Times, man. <laughs> but listen, but these subcultures, right? And what I notice is, I guess it's the kind of cons- corporatization and mm. the rise of consumer culture, right? Mm-hmm. Where every, there's a blandness to things. So they try to make things the same. Yeah, they don't want it to have too much energy. They don't want it to like. Remember, music used to be something that politicized people and, and formed movements. Mm-hmm. They don't want that to happen. With, and, and this is the thing. So when I look at when I hear kids' music now, kids' music, I'm thinking, where are the scenes? Where is the scene? Before I can go, you can go come to London. If you want to find the scene, you find the scene. If you're a punk, you find your punk place. Mm. If you're if you're into 
Um, I used to go out with a girl and her parents were from Ireland and they wanted to find the Irish dancehall scene. You could find that. And these are big artists, the wolf tones and all that, they still play out. You find your scene. But these things are dying. These authentic spaces. These spaces... spaces is very disparate. It's been, we've, mm. we've really thought... You know, I'll be really honest, in terms of trying to find a London audience, we've really struggled because we don't have the resources to build, like, the massive... to do the massive bit of marketing. Mm. Because how do you reach them? There isn't, like, a proper localised scene. At least with Grime, they had Lord of the Mics and and in Walthamstow. I watched a documentary about that last week. It was brilliant. You know, they had that. And so they had that little town where everyone went to meet. But with drum and bass, it really feels like it just kind of jumped up and spread everywhere... And so it's very hard. Like, I found, you know, three or four people at Goldsmith students that are really into drum and bass, and we've started blending it in, because Playlist is just a black music night. It's hip-hop, R&B, we've got great DJs. So that's a, that's a night that is either you promote for here at Goldsmiths? Yes, yes, yeah. 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 Uh, but th- that's what I've kind of find, found when these... Because these things are dying out. It's not a scene anymore. You play everything in one space. Mm. And that's not how it used to be. If I, no, if, I, no. if I went to a rave and I heard someone play R&B, I'll leave. I'm like, what? It's not what I came here for. Yeah, like, listen, why are you playing so jams? That's dead. That's, there's, there's not enough beats in it for me. Mm-hmm. So I just leave in the gaff. And it, over time, I remember so when Twice As Nice started coming on. Oh, twice as and nice. they started putting like R&B. I don't want some guy in a, with his hair talking about love. That's in a rave. No, man. <laughs> No, it's wrong. And I think it's because there's just, you know, in the same way that there's too much music, there's yes. an overabundance of music, there's an overabundance of raves, things to do in London now. There's okay. so many different venues. Yeah. Um, and so even Roast had, it had like Jungle Room was main, then there was a deep soulful house room, and then there was the garage room. So even they had, you know, realised that they've got to draw draw in all these different audiences in order to make the ends meet. What role does somewhere like Fabric play in this history? Well, Fabric Fabric are more into the new drum and bass era and also they're quite clicky because they work with certain labels. Okay. So the lineups that they have there are, you know, I mean, what the problem that's happened with drum and bass is it's become very label orientated and so it's very difficult for independent DJs. Whereas before, you would just do a lineup where, you know, that de- let me put this DJ with this DJ and this DJ because that's going to be a sick lineup. You would do it like that. Whereas what the labels are doing, you know, they're having their top label DJ here and oh look, all these all these people are on my roster, so I'm just going to book all of them mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. be out there looking for other people. And so it's become really, really. I mean, media's clicky anyway, but drum and bass has become super clicky. And and fabric for me is part of that okay. because it's kind of the same same label takeovers, same kind of lineups. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think, and and this is where I kind of it ties in the kind of idea of social media and consumerism being an idea that you can pick and choose different parts of culture. You can find different subcultures, and whereas, man's I grew up in that right. So you grow up in these cultures, but now with social media, you can jump in and out of culture. So you can say, I'm a sneaker collector, I'm also this, I'm also that. And you pick and choose all the different things and you're none of those things. But you're just some of those things. Because it's just, a, people experience junkies now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can go to hospitality in the park and have a drama-based experience or I can go to roast and have a jungle experience yeah. or I can go to wireless and have the urban music, grime, R&B experience. I don't have to be part of the scene. And you see, and this is what I'm saying, so when I go to these places and people like say... I see people and I'm thinking, I, I try not to be, be that person because you're old 
and you become, as I'm getting older, becoming more conservative for small C, and I'm thinking, but these people don't. They're not feeling. They're not feeling it, man. Yeah. There's, there's a kind of superficiality to it all, there right? Is. Like they're there to be seen. It's for the gram. Yeah. Oh! I hate Instagram and social media. Well, but it's, I'll come back and do Instagram social media another day. That's so. We're going to have to end there. It's a short episode. We've got as much time, but we're going to have to get you on. We're going to get Judah's going to come back on early 2020, and we're going to talk about your thesis in particular. But this has been a great intro. This has been a great intro. Yeah, it's been a great intro to it, and we're going to get you back on 100. percent Oh, I'm really delighted to be here. (laughs) Oh no, big fans, big fans. Thank you so much, listeners. Um, This is our final episode of this season. We'll be back with something special. Next week, you'll hear more about Watch out. our socials Watch out. this week. Um, yeah, Julia's going to be back. If you are able to join our Listen. Patreon, please do. Um, and we'll see you soon. Bye. See you later. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. Please like, rate and subscribe. You can also find more of us on Twitter and Instagram.